I heard from a preacher that um, Twitter is the new amen. Yeah, in years gone by, people used to say, amen, preacher. Nowadays, they put their head down and they tweet it. So if you've got your heads down, or imagine you're Twittering my uh, whatever it is that I'm, that I'm saying. But I'm Peter. I'm the 12 to 25's life group leader, um, team leader here at, um, at, at Elevate Church. And yes, I do lead a life group as well. And it's the third time I'm doing this. So uh, it's going to get a bit confusing probably. I've got a lot of content, a lot of stuff to throw down. And I'm practicing my teaching gift. Um, so I want to encourage you to write everything down. Write as much down. If you've got two thumbs, put it on your smartphone as fast as you can. Because it may not come out in a logical sense. But you can go away later and you can research it for yourself because um, if that's all that happens out of today is that I drive you to go and open your Bible and spend some time with God, then I've won. Right. So uh, I encourage you to write as fast as you can. Who's ever lost something before? Yes. Keys? Yeah. Where's my wife? She should have it. both hands up. <laughs> Phones, favourite jocks, all that sort of stuff. Lost them, I'm sure. About two and a half years ago, I needed some new shorts. My ones were getting daggy, and I thought, all right, babe, let's go to Carousel and do the, do the hard yards. I'll go shopping with my wife. It's, she tells me what to buy, and it's, it's uh, embarrassing. And so we went down to JJ's in Carousel, that direction, uh, and we, had, we only had Josiah at that point in time. So we, Cullen was pregnant with a second. We only had Josiah. He was 18 months old. And so we were, we were in JJ's. JJ's is quite cheap, and I found these shorts. I'm like, oh, these will be all right. 12 bucks or something, and I was going to wear them today just because like, I can talk about the shorts that I'm wearing. Only on Monday I was lifting something and I split the crutch in them, so I'm not going to wear them. But um, we're in JJ's, and, and Carleen, she, she's, she's incorrigible. She's like, oh, babe, what about this? Do you reckon I could buy this? I'm like, we're shopping for my shorts here, not for you. And so she finds some stuff that she thought she'd try on. And Anyway, so she went to the change room. I went to the change room. I'm like, babe, these shorts look all right. And she's in the change room next to me. She's like, yeah, this top looks great. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. I'm like, have you just in with you? No, no, he's in with you. Uh, no, but he's not. Oh, crap. I mean, I don't have any pants. I don't have any shorts on. I'm in my jocks. So I'm like, well, well, I'm putting shorts on as fast as I can. And she's out the door and he'll be in the shop somewhere. You know, the pram was there. He'll be with the pram or his biscuits or he'll be just hanging around the shop. He's a good kid and under all the clothes racks, we're having a look, and Josiah, Josiah, we didn't want to yell too loud, because we look like the, um, the negligent parents who lose their kids in a shopping centre, but, um, and we're looking around, and we can't find him, and we're like, oh no, and you get that sinking feeling in your gut, where you're like, ah, oh, the kid's gone, Carousel's huge, he's a midget, he's only this, he's only 18 months old, what do you do, well, I prayed like I never prayed before, and trying to find this kid lost in carousel. And I'm like, what do I do? So I'm looking around the shop a bit more and Carleen's out and she flies out the door and she's looking around. I go left, she goes right. And I look over and she's like, oh, I've got him. I'm like, oh my goodness. The relief when you find a kid lost in carousel is unbelievable. Of course, what me and Josiah have been doing for about half an hour beforehand, if you know where JJ's is, is kind of just opposite the escalators. And me and Josiah been going up, and down and up and down and up. I just jumping off and jumping on and jumping off. And he thought the escalators were great, so he, mum and dad are gone and he's off straight back to the escalators. And we found him at the foot of the escalators doing his own little thing. So that was a sort of a heart crazy moment when we um, when we seen the lost Josiah, but we found him again. 
and it was really cool. But today we're going we're gonna to explore a little bit more about being lost and what it's like to be lost and how to get out of being lost. And we're going to look at what I would call the fourth wisest man in the Bible. We're going to have a look at a bit of his story and his name is Solomon. I believe this wisest man in the Bible was Jesus. People say, oh, Solomon, he was, he was pretty wise. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, but Jesus was alive, wasn't he? I reckon he was the wisest man. The second wisest man, I believe, in my humble opinion, was Adam. The man walked with God. He was in a garden. He walked with God. I'm like, mate, if he was spending time physically walking with God, I reckon he would have been pretty wise. We fell for Eve's tricks, didn't he? So thanks, uh, Regan, for, for, for correcting me there. I reckon the third wisest man in the Bible was a man, a husband, without a name. And in the second book of Kings, he was the husband of a Shunammite woman. And the Shunammite woman, she, her son died. And she goes, I want to go find this prophet of God. And, uh, and he said, why? And she said, because. And that's all the Bible records. He asked why, she said, because, and he shut up. So I think that's a pretty wise husband right there. And Mrs. says, because, and you move on. So fourth wisest man is Solomon. We're going to have a look a bit about his story, but before we move on, let's, let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for this opportunity. God, I ask you, clear my mind. Help me to speak clearly and specifically. God, I ask you, open our hearts. God, I ask that you remove distractions um, from our worlds, God, that we can focus in on you this morning. We can help the lost be found. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Excellent. Solomon was a, was a guy, he was, his dad was David, uh, Mark mentioned David before, and Solomon was, he was David's son, and da- Solomon inherited the kingdom, He'd inherited, he was the king, and uh, he was the ruler over this massive land, and he was uber wealthy, not quite as wealthy as God, Mark, but he was uber wealthy, um, and Solomon was unsatisfied, kind of like Mick Jagger, can't get no satisfaction, well this was Solomon, and uh, so in the book of Ecclesiastes, we find Solomon's diary. Solomon is lost. He's unsatisfied. He can't get no satisfaction. And so Solomon goes on this quest for 40 years trying to find satisfaction. And while he's away for 40 years, he's writing on whatever they write on, camel skin or stone tablets or something. But effectively, the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's diary about what he went through and his thoughts. And we're just going to pick it up Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, he starts expressing his thoughts. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, I think it sounds pretty lost. Solomon, how do you, what do you think of things? Meaningless. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? And at this point, one of the things about being lost, and if you're lost in life, and we're going we're gonna to explore it a bit more, is to admit you're lost. Solomon admits he's lost. Everything's meaningless. If you don't admit that you're lost, you can't find your way. And Solomon made a choice. Right at this point, he made a choice, and you have to make the same choice. It's a one-two option. You have to choose, if you are lost in whatever way, shape, or form, that you're going to find a way out. That's not for me. That's the choice I'm going to leave with you, and you're going to walk out, and you're going to make that choice. The second option is to sit back and wallow in your self-pity and say, life is too big, it's too hard, everything's meaningless. I'm going to rely on my friends, so I burn them out, and they're going to help me up. Or we can make a choice. And Solomon made a choice. 
And in, 13, and in later on in that chapter, Solomon reflects and says, I devoted myself to search for understanding, to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. So it's pretty clear what he chose. He chose, I've had enough of everything being meaningless and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a bit of research. I'm going to figure it out. And that's for you guys. You guys make that choice. Here's what Solomon did. And while in the midst of being lost, he tried a bunch of stuff. He tried everything. Remember, he's the king. He's uber wealthy. We try stuff, maybe not quite to Solomon's extent. But here's what Solomon tried. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. Sounds Italian. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. Today we just download on iTunes. And had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would have, I would take. I desired myself, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labours. But as I looked at, looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there's nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He didn't really miss much, did he? <laughs> That's a pretty ex- extensive list. I just read out a lot. I don't, don't know if I needed to, but you get the picture. He's lost, he's unsatisfied, and he makes a decision, and he goes chasing after everything. And I'm going to skip to the end of the book, but what I want to encourage you to do is to have a read. Ecclesiastes is a really easy reading book. It's, it reads like a diary. It's a story. It's this guy just having these conversations and encourage you to, just, to, to read into what Solomon did. But I um, did. I don't have time to read it all for you this morning. But this diary thing's a bit unheard of in, in 2013. We're a highlight-orientated society. I, uh, I subscribe to the NBA channel on YouTube and I... It uploads to my Facebook. The two things I upload regularly are the nightly highlights. So they encapsulate about 10 hours of basketball into two minutes. Just the highlights. And the other thing they upload is the top five or top ten plays of the night. What happened to the other 5,000 plays that all the coaches took the time to draw up? We live in a highlight-orientated society. We don't, we don't, history doesn't record the meantime. We read the Bible... The last thing we hear about Jesus is getting grounded because he's been, he's been in the temple and his parents have lost him, just like we lost Josiah. And the next thing, he's turning water into wine. What happened for the 18 years of Jesus' life? We don't read that. But Solomon, this is different. This, this is the meantime. This is that period when he's lost. And we get to read that. And I think there's some really good wisdom in there. My only uh, unfortunate thing for Solomon is he spent 40 years doing that. So this morning, before we continue any further, what is it that you're lost? What's your lost in life? Are you searching for, searching for satisfaction? Is it purpose? Is it identity? Is it a job? Is it, are you lost financially? Are you lost relationally? 
And, and, I, and I want you to think about it because the rest of this is going to be useless because I can't give you that answer. I can give you the how-to, but I can't give you what your lost is. And write the rest of this morning down, but you're going to have to leave and figure out what your lost is and apply that to your lost the best way you can. What are you trying to do to get unlost? And are you tired of it yet? Sometimes we get pretty tired trying to find the meaning for things. It's tiring and it wears us down. And that's important in a minute. Solomon, as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, also wrote some of the book, most of Proverbs. Or all of Proverbs, I actually believe. And he refers, he hits this proverb, this little glimpse of wisdom... In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, and Solomon wrote, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Imagine for 40 years being lost. You get that that sinking feeling. When we lost Josiah, that sinking feeling, it's like, man, you're sick in the stomach. When you make a mistake, when you lose something, how sick in the stomach do you feel when you're lost and you're tired? And you're weak. Imagine if I promised to buy you um, a Snickers bar. Imagine I, I promised to buy you a Snickers bar. It's pretty realistic, isn't it? I could probably, if my wife wasn't listening, I could probably buy you all one and put it on a credit card. Probably wouldn't break my bank account. I'd have to live tight for a couple of weeks, but it'd be all right. Not, not very significant, is it? What if I, I was at the Wildcats game on, uh, on Friday night and... Uh, those tickets are a little bit more expensive. What if I bought you all a, a Wildcats ticket to watch the bus? What if I promised you to do that? It's a little bit more significant, isn't it? A little bit more impactful on my wallet at the end of the day. What about if I promised to buy you a house? Bring it on, says Kay. You just renovated your house and it's lovely. Shh. <laughs> I can have another one. Investment property. Imagine if I said, give me two years, I'm going to buy you a house. Okay, sure. Six months time, Pete, BFF's pal, buddy, how's that house coming along? I said, look, I'm just saving up, sell some shares, stuff like that. I'm going to buy you a house. Year ticks by. Okay, it's excellent. If I was someone promised to buy me a house, I'd probably move my kids to a different school because the house might be somewhere different. I'd be making plans. I start to live my life a bit different. My hope would be elevated. My, that hope would get tiring because I'm excited. I'm going to buy you a house. This is going to set you up for life. Two years. I ring you up, mate. Look, I'm sorry. The global financial crisis came along and my shares plummeted and I can't afford to buy you a, a house. You'd be bummed. You'd be mad. Defriend me on Facebook. That broken promise would make you pretty sick. The hope of that promise would make you pretty sick. That pales in significance to the promises of God. We claim the promises of God, don't we, sometimes? We, we, we depend on them. We rely on them. If you pray, you pray believing God's going to hear you, so you've already claimed that promise. God says in Jeremiah, I'm going to pro- I, pro- I want to prom- prosper you, not harm you. Yeah, we declare that. We, we bank on that. 
God says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. God, I'm going to jump. I'm going to go plant a church in whatever that country was that Mark said. I've got no idea. But Jesus, God says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. If you're going to another country, into a Muslim country, and you want to plant a Christian church, are you going to bank on that promise? No one's saying yes, Mark. Mark is, that's good. Good on you, Regan, thank you. Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. You come to me, my yoke is easy, I'm going to give you rest. Jesus says, come to me, I am the well of living water. Jesus says, I'm going to supply all your needs. Jesus says, anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. Jesus said, if you ask, I'll give it to you. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be answered. The door will be opened. These are just some of the basic promises of God that we bank on. But what happens that don't seem to be coming true in life? Hope, I think one of the greatest things about hope is, is describe. No, no, hold on. There we go. When hope deferred makes the heart sick, but what makes the heart better is when desire comes. See, when desire comes, it is a tree of life. When the desires of our heart, when the things we hope for, everything, when, if we were going to plant a church in a Muslim country and it came true, and if you were trying to do that for 40 years, man, wouldn't you be ecstatic? Wouldn't you be over the moon? Man, when we found our kid and we lost him in Carousel, I was over the moon. Imagine if I did buy you that house, you'd be over the moon. When God comes through, we're over the moon. But while we're lost in that meantime, when we're delayed, it starts to get tiring. We start to get weak. We start to panic. The devil starts to sneak in and he starts to put things in our way that we get distracted with. But when desire comes, it is a tree of life, absolutely. The tree, tree of life sounds a bit weird, but it's, other translations say it's, just, it's awesome, it's fulfilling, it brings satisfaction. This is what Solomon reflected on. I'm lost, I'm doing all this stuff, but when desire comes... It's a tree of life. Hope, I think, is best described in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. So these things we hope for, let's go back. Everything we hope, all the promises God gives us, we hope they come true, don't we? You hope I'm going to buy you a house. You hope God is never going to leave. Yeah, Regan's hoping I'll buy her a house. We're hoping God's never going to leave us. We're hoping God's going to supply our needs. I'm hoping I'll find my kid lost in carousel again. But faith is the confidence. It's the confidence that it will actually happen. I want to quote Judah Smith. This would be worth tweeting. Just because you are... Sorry, Mark, let me find your app. No, man, I'm on it. Okay, good work. Just because you were delayed does not mean you are denied. Yeah, really good. I remember that there was a song, I can't remember which one it is, John O, forgive me. I think it was the middle song. 
God's timing. It was something about we pray into God's timing. We sung that this morning. I'm like, yeah. It's God's timing we're praying with and for and through. And God's timing is the one that's better than ours. You see, Solomon's lost and he's searching and his conclusion is profound. But in that meantime, while he's lost, while you're lost, while you're searching, he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When it comes true, it's a tree of life. But we've got to trust and know that God will come through. So after 40 years of searching, chasing after hope, Solomon lands on this conclusion. The, final, the last and final word is this, message version, just some of these other versions are a bit hard to understand, but message is, guys, just like, fear God, do what he tells you. Pretty blunt. <laughs> I don't know if, it, oh. Doesn't take much, in, I should shut up, it doesn't take much interpretation, does it? Fear God, do what he tells you. One, two. Fear God. Let me clarify very quickly and importantly, and I think this is where some people get mistaken. Fear God does not mean be afraid of God. I'm not, we're not scared of God. Because Jesus came, we're a friend of God, and we come to the throne of God, and we get to talk to him and be in relationship with him. I want you to, the only way I can describe it is imagine this. He's going to take a lot of imagining here, but imagine I was a musician. Imagine I would just grab Garrard's guitar over there and I, was, I could play two chords. I was hopeless, but for some reason they let me up on, on the platform here and said, Pete, you can play music. Imagine I'm just chilling and then imagine Joel Houston and the Hillsong team came in here. I'd be in awe. I'd be like, these guys are iconic in the Christian music world. Imagine if I had my guitar and I walked down a Challenge Stadium and walked on stage with U2. I'd be like, it's Bono and the guys from U2. As a musician, I would be in awe of these people that are up here. They are in the stratosphere above me. I'm not afraid of them. They're just human beings. But there's a fear of an essence of these guys are so far beyond what I'm capable of doing there's a, a respect and an honour and a, and a place, a pedestal that I put them on. Ultimately, it's a, almost a form of worship. It's a heart place of worship. And that's what he's saying is to fear God is to put him in a place on a pedestal, a place of worship far beyond what I'm capable of doing. So if we want to get unlost... We have a two-step, one-two punch this morning. If you want to write something down, I encourage you to write this down. Cultivate a heart of worship. This is what he says. Part one, cultivate a heart of worship. Fear God. The fear of God, not being afraid, but fear of God, there's not a lot of action required. It's really about a heart place of worship. It's about getting your heart right, getting your heart in a place to worship God. I love that Hill song, the song from the inside out or inside out it's called. Check it out. God transforms me from the inside out. Yeah, right. He changes our heart first. Yes. We need action to follow it up, but first we need to change our attitude and our perspective on who God sees us to be and how we see ourselves. 
Mark just finished a great series on who do you think you are? You're an ambassador. You stand in the authority of God. You stand sent by God. You're an overcomer. You have the power to overcome stuff, and God's going to help you do that if you trust him. I wasn't here for the other two weeks. Can someone fill me in on what the other two were? Um, Not you. Someone else? Salt and light. Excellent. You are salt and light. Number three, number four. Okay, Mark. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. God sees you as a masterpiece. He designed and destined and purposed you as a masterpiece. You need to understand that. That's your attitude and perspective change. That, that's who you are. That's how God sees you. Be still. This is four little action points that you can practically do to cultivate a heart of worship. I'm going to punch through these because I'm running out of time. One, be still. I don't, you guys have been sitting still. Some of you are fidgeting because I'm talking too much. But well, Jess is typing. That's good to see. <laughs> you've been si- no, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking mind. I'm talking get your mind Turn the radio off. Get still. Be still. Husbands, take the kids for an hour and let the wife go and... Someone got a big shovel? I can just dig myself out of this now. That's the best response. Best response I've had all morning. Do something that the other... You know, so be still. If you don't have kids and you don't have a partner... All power to you. You can just go and be still. You've got no excuse. Confess. Admit you've done wrong. Yeah? Take a big, big, big mouthful of humility, big bit of humble pie, and admit you've done something wrong. Confess before God. Change that heart of, unharden your heart. Meditate. Meditate on God's word. My life verse, Genesis chapter 18, is a girl, a lady named Sarah, and she, the Bible says she laughed in the face of God. And God said, is there anything I cannot do? Yeah. I, don't, I can't remember what, I think it's verse eight, chapter 18, verse 18. Well, that's been my life verse for uh, eight years now. It's just a verse that just keeps pouring through my mind. That's it. That's meditating on God's word. Yeah. If you need to read a lot, read a lot. I'm not going to prescribe this to you. I'm going to describe it to you so you can walk away and grow. Practice the presence of God. What does that look like for you? For me, it means sitting down the front on a Sunday morning. You need to create an environment for you and God. It's practical steps for me. Practically sitting at the front, spit row, getting close, getting up close to the worship band, And that way I don't have people in front of me and I'm not distracted. That's a place where I seek the face of God. And for me, that's how I cultivate the heart of worship. You you do your own thing, but that's me. And it's a practical step of of how you can move forward. The next thing he says was to do what he said. Oh, I wish I could go backwards. Sam, can you go back? Do what he tells you. Let's reframe that to practice audacious faith. There's a two-edged sword here. It's, he, what he tells you is both a negative and a positive. He says, don't snort cocaine, but he also says, love me. So it's a do what he tells you. Also, there's a do what he tells you. In other words, don't do this. But it's do what he tells you and says, follow me. Go plant a church in some Muslim country that I can't say the name of. 
God deserves our radical obedience. Jesus says, my sheep listen to me, to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, when we see things as God sees them, we will do as he says. When we see ourselves, I quote Stephen Furtick there, by the way. I'm not going to take credit for that. When we see ourselves as God sees us, we will do as he says. When we see ourselves as an ambassador, an overcomer, a masterpiece, when we see ourselves as a salt and light, how is that going to change how we live in our world? My last verse is this. In Hebrews 11, after, after we talked about faith is hope, faith is the hope that things will come for real, the, the writer talks about a whole bunch of people in the old part of the Bible, talks about what they did in their, in their faith and their actions, and he concludes towards the bottom with this, and I, stumbled across, I say I stumbled across it, but I really believe God pointed me to it, and this is gold. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God has promised. They received what God had promised through faith. It was faith first, and they received what God had promised. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. When you're lost and you're sick and tired of fighting, how weak are you in that moment? You're pretty vulnerable, aren't you? You're really in a place of vulnerability. Can you imagine how tired Solomon was of fighting for 40 years to find satisfaction? Do you know how hard it would have been to to do irrigation back in them days? They said he irrigated all his groves. I just ring up a garden and say, can you run some black poly pipe in my garden? No, no, God would have had to dig trenches for miles and stuff. It would have been tiring chasing for that satisfaction. I believe there's some people that are tired today, tired of chasing, and God says that by faith you will receive what God has promised for you. While we are lost, we build our faith. Our faith breeds hope, and our hope brings life. That's all I've got for this morning, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pray in a second. Um, but I want to give, if, you're, if you haven't made a, made a decision to follow Jesus, and you're thinking, I'm in a place that I need help, and I need something bigger to grow for, I need to understand what it means to be a masterpiece of Jesus, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second just to raise your hand and say, not to me, but to God, and just to say, I want to commit to following Jesus. I'm tired. I'm weak. The last verse says, He turns our weakness into strength. Faith turns our weakness into strength. Maybe you're weak and you aren't strong and you need faith. Start. Just start. Just make a start and God will fill the rest. If you're already a follower, I encourage you to pray for people that aren't right now. But I'm going to look around the auditorium. If you want to make that decision, if you want to say, I want my weakness turned to strength. I want to start following Jesus. I need something greater to live for. I encourage you to slip your hand up and I'll see you and then we'll pray at the end.
I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. If there's anyone here and the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to step up and step out. I encourage you not to deny that any longer. Well, we have an Easter live experience at 9.30 Friday morning. It would be a great opportunity to invite your friends because we need to see this. This is a, not that I delivered it, but this is a great message that people are lost. Our friends are lost. Our friends need the hope that brings life. Amen? Yeah, yeah they do. And we need an opportunity. This is a great place for them to come and to learn and to hear about that. Um, drink some great coffee as well. It'd be cool. But um, I, one of the things for me about being lost is that we're part of the body of Christ and we can help each other with that. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been led to do during the week was is just to pray for people. But I just want to just blast out a shotgun effect prayer. And uh, I asked my partner in crime, Louie, um, to help me, but she's sick. So we can pray for her as well. So Scotty Wheeler, me and Scotty Wheeler, um, Scotty Wheeler's a little prayer warrior and he's the encouragement king yes. and he's, um, he's, been, he's been, I've just been noticing him on my radar um, for the last six months or something and me and Scotty are going to be in this corner over here, just down towards the front for the next 10 to 15 minutes. You guys are going to be free to go, free to do what you want but we're going to be down there and we're going to be praying very specifically for you. We're going to be hearing from God. You hear what God says and say it. Okay, and what that means is just, it's a, it's a term called prophecy. It sounds a bit weird, but don't get scared. Prophecy simply, when it got explained to me, is simply this, to lift up, to build up, and to cheer up. Okay? It's prophecy, we're going to lift people up from the lost state they're in. We're going to give them some solid foundation. We may not do all of this, but it's... It's not about what we say. You don't understand. It's you know, the prophets of you read the Bible and the old prophets. What they do? God, what are you saying? Okay, this is what God's saying. It was really that simple. So me and Scotty, we're just going to hear from God. And we're going to pray for you. Just over here. It's not weird. If you don't have to come, but I encourage you. If you're lost and you want some prayer this morning, just really naturally, guys. Everyone else can have coffee. Um, make a bit of a line if there's lots of people. Otherwise, just come over for the next 10 to 15 minutes. And we're going to pray for you and lift you up, build you up, and cheer you up um, into your life. Does that sound okay? Really good. Excellent. I'm done. I'm out. Thank you for your support and your encouragement.